In the realm of true crime, every crime scene tells a story. Every story has its truths. These are the stories from inside the crime scene tape that separates fact from fiction. In this episode of True Crime Reporter, I open up my case files of historical crimes that are gone but not forgotten. In our journey through the corridors of crime and punishment, past and present, I'm going to take you back to the execution of an innocent teenager in 16th century Tudor England. It's a tragic story about a 16-year-old noblewoman ensnared in a web of political intrigue. She is remembered as the Nine Days Queen, her life a fleeting moment in the annals of English royalty. Lady Jane Grey's story is a poignant reminder of the grim intersection of power and justice. From the grandeur of royal courts to the somber shadows of the Tower of London, her story is a testament to the enduring question of fairness, justice, and the human condition under the rule of law. In this episode, history whispers reach the modern ear, reminding us of the past that is never too far from the present. You've likely heard the story of London's Jack the Ripper and the fictional exploits of Sherlock Holmes. But I will tell you a story about a wrongful execution depicted in oil on canvas that you can't forget after seeing it once. I walked out of the tile tunnel of the Westminster Tube Station, a subway we call it here in the States. Big Ben clock tower stood before me. I cinched up my reporter's trench coat against a brisk, cold wind that whipped my face from the Thames River. Big Ben told the hour from high above the Gothic spires of Parliament. But it's time to move on to my objective, London's National Gallery. I set my sights on one painting there during every reporting assignment or family vacation. The execution of Lady Jane Grey, painted in 1833 by the Frenchman Paul Delaroche. More on her life later. I walked up Whitehall toward the majestic National Gallery. I passed the centograph, or empty tomb in Greek, standing tall in the middle of the street. The Portland Stone Memorial of Creamy White Limestone was unveiled in 1920. It's a tribute to all who lost their lives in Britain's conflicts since 1914. Marking the staggering loss of life by Great Britain in World War I, it was calculated that marching four abreast down Whitehall would take the dead three and a half days to pass before the centograph.
Walking up the cobblestone street, I emerged from the stately Edwardian architecture into the open expanse of Trafalgar Square. At the heart soars Nelson's column, honoring the legendary Admiral Lord Horatio Nelson, the hero of an epic confrontation with the French and Spanish Armada in 1805. Admiral Nelson, commanding aboard his flagship HMS Victory, faced a numerically superior enemy. He signaled a legendary command to his royal fleet. England expects that every man will do his duty. And duty called many to the watery graves that fateful morning, amidst cannon roar and bellowing gun smoke, as brave souls perished. Yet none more famous than Nelson himself, boldly pacing victory's blood-slickened deck, resplendent in full-dress uniform, glittering with medals, heedless of snipers marking an officer so conspicuous. A lone bullet found its target as the Admiral paced, piercing Nelson's shoulder before lodging fatally in his spine. My destination, the National Gallery, commands a position above Trafalgar Square. The construction site, chosen by Parliament in 1831, was considered to be at the very center of London. The gallery houses one of the greatest collections of Western European painting in the world, with works ranging in date from as early as 1250 to 1900. Among its most popular paintings is The Execution of Lady Jane Grey, painted by Paul Delaroche in 1833. 16-year-old Lady Jane Grey was the Queen of England for just nine days, the shortest reign of any English monarch before or since. Her fate was intertwined with a power struggle to keep England firmly Protestant. Henry VIII had broken ties with the Catholic Church so he could divorce his first queen for Anne Boleyn, who he later beheaded. His successor, Edward VI, made a deathbed change to the line of royal succession. He skipped over Mary, a Catholic, in favor of Lady Jane, a Protestant, fifth in line to the throne. Mary won support and sent Lady Jane Grey to the Tower of London. She was beheaded on February 12, 1554, going down in history as the Nine Days Queen. I'll be back with the rest of the story after this message. I'll be back after this break. Hello, this is Robert, and I want to ask a small favor. Will you please tell your friends who love true crime to follow the True Crime Reporter podcast? 
As you know, it's one of the few podcasts where you can hear raw, unfiltered accounts from law enforcement experts, victims, and even convicted criminals. And please sign up for my free newsletter. The form is on every page of my website. Finally, I am so thankful to my Apple listeners who have given the podcast five-star reviews. Your reviews on all of the channels are extremely helpful in spreading the word about this podcast. Now, back to our episode. Lady Jane Grey's story inspired Paul LaRoche. The French painter was part of the 19th century Romantic movement, and his work often reflected the romantic interest in emotion, drama, and the human experience with historical events. He painted the execution of Lady Jane Grey two centuries after she was beheaded. The nine-by-eight-foot painting makes a striking impression. Delaroche captures the poignant final moments of a blindfolded Lady Jane Grey as she pleads, What shall I do? Where is the block? Gently, she is being led towards her grim destiny by Sir John Bridges, the deputy lieutenant of the tower. Her garments have been removed, now resting in the lap of her lady-in-waiting who, overwhelmed by the scene, has collapsed to the floor. The dramatic lighting of the scene accentuates Lady Jane's alabaster-colored skin, her thin red lips and her fair beauty. Her long auburn hair, bound by a white blindfold, streams down the front of her left shoulder. The blindfold itself is stark white, wrapping around her head and covering her eyes, which denotes her blindness to her surroundings and symbolizes her innocence. She is dressed in a simple, elegant undergarment that drapes and pools around her. It is of a luminous pale color, reminiscent of classical statues, which further enhances her portrayal as a tragic, innocent figure. The fabric appears to be satin or silk with a subtle sheen that catches the light, adding to the ethereal quality of her appearance. Her dress is cinched at the waist and has a square neckline that modestly frames her shoulders and neck. Jane's physical posture is one of vulnerability and resignation. She is kneeling on a turquoise silk cushion trimmed in gold trim. Her body slightly turned with her right hand tentatively reaching out to the wooden executioner's block before her, a gesture that is both searching and hesitant. The wooden block sits on a bed of straw placed to soak up the copious amounts of blood that will shortly be spilled. During the actual execution, with her head on the block, Lady Jane Grey spoke the last words of Jesus as recounted by Luke. Lord, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The execution actually took place outdoors on Tower Green and not on the stage set depicted in the painting. A dark floor cloth has been pulled back to reveal the wooden stage-like platform providing the artist with a place to carve his signature in the painting's date of 1833. The painting suggests that Lady Jane Grey is in a state of calm resignation. Although she cannot see, there is a composed, almost serene expression that belies the horror of her situation. 
Her head's tilt and her posture's openness suggest a mental state of acceptance, perhaps fortified by her faith or resignation to her faith. There's a tragic grace to her demeanor. She does not appear to be struggling or in distress, but facing her end with quiet dignity. Her left arm is supported by the elderly tower officer, Sir John Bridges, who helps guide her. This is a critical moment as he assists the blindfolded Jane who is unable to see her surroundings. His gesture is delicate, indicating an attempt to offer some level of comfort or reassurance in her moment of vulnerability. His head is bowed to her. His facial expression, while not fully visible, seems to convey a sense of solemn responsibility and perhaps regret. The executioner stands on their left. He is dressed in a manner that suggests his official role in the proceedings, yet with an unusual touch of individuality that sets him apart from the typical portrayal of executioners in art. He wears a doublet, which is fitted to his torso, a common piece of attire in the 16th century, colored in dark tones that correspond to his somber duty. Over this, he dons a red garment, perhaps hose or breeches, which are striking their vibrancy against the otherwise muted colors of the scene. The choice of color could be seen as a symbolic reference to the bloodshed inherent in his duty. A leather belt cinches his waist from which a sheathed dagger hangs, further signifying his role as executioner. His left hand is resting on the handle of a wide-bladed axe, which is the tool of his trade and the instrument of execution. Delaroche's executioner does not have the stern, impassive demeanor often associated with his profession. Instead, there is the hint of reluctance in his stance and expression. His head is turned slightly away from Jane, and his eyes do not focus on her or the block, suggesting an aversion to the grim task he is about to perform. Delaroche has humanized this typically vilified figure, inviting viewers to consider the complex emotions that might have accompanied the executioner's official responsibilities. Jane's lady-in-waiting sits to her right, looking away in profound distress, unable to bear witness to the swing of the executioner's blade. In her lap, she holds what appears to be Lady Jane's outer garments. These clothes, which have been removed before the execution, are likely to be of fine quality as befits Jane's noble status. The presence of these clothes in her lap serve as a poignant reminder of the gravity of the situation and symbolizes the stripping away of Lady Jane's earthly titles and honors as she faces her fate. Behind her, standing in a dark shadow, another attendant presses her face into a stone wall with her arms raised over her bowed head. It's as though she cannot bear to watch the grim scene unfold and has physically distanced herself from it, seeking solace in the cold stone wall before her. The woman's posture and actions contribute to the painting's overall atmosphere of tragedy and sorrow, reinforcing the theme of loss and helplessness that pervades the work. Her turned back and upraised arms can also be interpreted as a dramatic expression of mourning common in artistic depictions to convey intense emotion. 
The artist draws our attention to the necks of the two women, emphasizing the terrible fate of their mistress. The overall portrait of Lady Jane Grey is deeply evocative, capturing the tragic beauty of her youth and status and the somber reality of her imminent death. No one in the scene looks out at us. Each of them is completely absorbed in the moment. Della Roche's completed artwork was presented at the Paris Salon and garnered a place in the 1834 exhibition where it swiftly captured the public's attention. Its intense reaction might be partly attributed to the echoes of the French Revolution of 1789, a series of events still fresh in the collective memory. This period was marked by the violent overthrow of the French monarchy, including the infamous execution of Marie Antoinette in 1793. Through his depiction of Tudor history, Delaroche drew a striking parallel to France's own recent turbulent history, crafting an image that was both poignant and powerful in its residence. The execution of Lady Jane Grey remains a most potent image, the very embodiment of John Fox's words in the 1563 Book of Martyrs, in which he says, Let this worthy lady pass for a saint, and let all great ladies which bear her name imitate her virtues. In 1833, an art critic wrote, Beauty and terror are blended in this picture so closely that I defy the true artist to distinguish between them. Never did a painting produce a more poignant impression one almost expects to hear the head roll and fall. Whenever I'm in London, I always make it a point to go to the National Gallery to see the execution of Lady Jane Grey, because it is a profound and emotionally charged work that transcends the mere depiction of a historical event to deliver a powerful narrative about innocence, power, and the human condition. It is a reminder of the personal stories behind historical events, the real lives that are affected by the rise and fall of powers, and the enduring strength of the human spirit in the face of adversity. I hope that if you ever get to London, you'll take in the full glory of this painting, Paul de Roche's The Execution of Lady Jane Grey. Please tell your friends who love true crime that they can bypass secondhand tales and get their true crime fix here with authentic stories straight from the source. Tell them that True Crime Reporter is one of the few podcasts where you can hear raw, unfiltered accounts from law enforcement victims and even convicted criminals. And sign up for my free newsletter on the homepage of TrueCrimeReporter.com. It's your gateway to a world of knowledge and awareness in the realm of true crime and your personal safety. Thanks for listening, and until we meet again, be prepared, don't get scared. This is Robert Riggs reporting.